morning, everyone. I want to say hi to those of you in this room, those of you joining us online. So glad you're here today. When my kids were younger, a funny thing happened in our house that has become part of our lingo as a family, something we repeat now. The funny thing that happened was Russell, my son, got hurt, and I was attending to him, caring for him, helping him out with a Band-Aid for his scrape. And in the midst of that, my daughter Lila calls from the other room and she says, can I get some care? (laughs) So sometimes now still today, we'll just call from another room, can I get some care? (laughs) And there's something in the child-likeness of that calling out for care that I think rings true for us as adults too. Because as adults, we usually don't call out to each other like that, but if we did, maybe it would be to say something like this, can I get some care because I'm feeling forgotten or discarded or replaced or brushed off. I'm feeling ignored or misunderstood or I'm feeling distance or just I'm feeling pain. And we're in a season of the year that the church has long referred to as epiphany. And one pastor describes it like this. He says, the season of epiphany is a reminder to the church, that is us, of her vocation to face outward toward the other to share the light of Christ. But let's be honest, when we turn outward toward the other, we often find there the remains of an ancient primal wound. It shows up in a whole host of relational cracks and and discord and ruptures because we all want to be known. We want to be seen. We want to be seen as we are, not as we act. We want to be seen and known as ourselves, not just ourselves on our best days or ourselves on our worst days, but we want to be seen and we want to be known in our entirety. We want to witness to our lives. One person said it this way, we were all born, you were born into this world looking for someone who was looking for you. It's this image of God in each of us that is longing for connection to be seen, to be known, But the soul, your soul and my soul, the soul is shy. And we've all learned ways of hiding our true selves from each other. I mean, we we hide ourselves from ourselves. We are unfamiliar sometimes even with what is going on within our own selves. We hide ourselves from ourselves. We hide ourselves from each other. We, We hide ourselves from God. But within the first few pages of scripture, we meet people longing to be known and hiding their true selves in the Garden of Eden. You know the story. The story is God created Adam and Eve. They placed them in the Garden of Eden, and they were living in a close and connected relationship with God. So the scriptures paint that picture as they were walking naked in the garden with God and felt no shame. It's this picture of with God at the beginning, they they were fully known, they were fully loved, there was no fear of rejection. But when they ate from the tree that God told them not to eat from, they became aware 
of their own nakedness, and they began to hide, to cover. Shame entered the story, and so they hid from God. Now, something we cannot miss at this point in the story is just God and his kindness seeking them out in their hiding. God and his kindness coming to them and asking them, what has happened? And they confess. They confess their sin. And again, God in his kindness provides for them clothing to cover their shame, to cover their nakedness. But their relationship with God, had, it had changed. It had changed forever. And that story in Genesis, in the beginning of the Bible, it is, of course, a story about the fall of humanity, but it's also a story. It's a story about the importance in each of us of being known, of desiring to be seen and accepted by God and by another. It's a picture of despite all of our hiding, still nothing can separate us from God's pursuit, from God's great love. So you were created, you could say it like this, you were created to walk in a perfect garden with God and feel no shame. But a rupture called sin entered the reality of that perfect union, and now we all live east of Eden. We all long for connection, but we regularly practice hiding. And what does this do? It creates, in our relationships, it creates relational disconnection, creates distance, sometimes division. But all of these relational ruptures that we experience in our lives, they are echoes of a more primal, a more ancient rupture. Because we live estranged from ourselves and each other and God, and despite all our best efforts, if you live long enough, despite all of our best efforts with people, relational ruptures still have a way of finding us. Despite all of your best parenting, despite all of your best effort at relationships, despite all of your investment in therapy, Disconnection, division, discord, they do seem to find us. And we see that right away in the scriptures as well. I mean, just very shortly after sin enters the narrative, we meet Cain and Abel, the children of of Adam and Eve. And there is relational rupture. Cain and Abel, first kids, they bring their offerings to God. Abel's offering was accepted by God, and Cain's was not. And Cain became resentful. He became jealous. But he did not pay attention to himself. He was not familiar enough with what was in him. He was estranged even from his own self. And so what was inside eventually moved outside, which is what happens with what is inside of us. And eventually, Cain kills Abel out of anger, out of resentment. And when God asked Cain, where is Abel? Cain lied, said he didn't know. Cain becomes banished from the land. He's estranged from himself, from God, from his community. And this story is at the very beginning of the Bible. It's like right away, disconnection, discord, disorder. In her song called Anti-Hero, Taylor Swift on her most recent album, she sings uh, this lyric where she says, I, 
I, I'm the problem, it's me. At tea time, everybody agrees. Can you hear the shame in that? Can you hear the pain in that? Can you hear the like relational rupture in that? You can imagine Taylor Swift and you know all her Swifties lying awake at night, right? Rehearsing that lyric, like, I'm the problem, it's me. At tea time, everybody agrees. I'm the problem. I'm the problem here, it's me. And that is often what we do, that despite our best efforts, we experience pain in our relationships and we lie awake at midnight replaying events in shame. But here's what I wish I could say, you know, to Taylor and all the Swifties who lie awake at midnight. <laughs> like, oh, friend, the truest thing about you is not that you are bad and broken. The truest thing about you is that you were born in great love and you bear an ancient primal wound. Each of us bears a remnant of a rupture that still echoes on. It echoes on within us and among us. That ancient rupture, that primal wound, happened in a garden long ago, and it echoes on in our relationships still today. So, so shame, of course, would be, I, I'm the problem, it's me. But blame would be you, you, you're the problem, it's you. And God says, look at me, gaze on me. There is an ancient wound called sin, and it, sin has ruptured everything. And despite all your best efforts, you cannot fix this on your own. This is why we need Jesus. The invitation of God at Epiphany over and over again is to throw ourselves utterly and completely on the mercy and grace of God available to us in Christ. So when you feel the pain in the breakdown of a relationship, remember further down still is actually your glory and their glory and God's glory. And the story didn't start in Genesis 3 with the fall. The story started in Genesis 1, where you and me and all of creation were born in love. And because of Christ, the story will end once again in a perfect garden where there will be no more tears and no more crying and where union will be complete again, where we will walk again in the garden naked and unashamed, where heaven and earth will become one on earth as it is in heaven. And if you go deep enough, you'll see that further down still, like below your shame and below your blame, is actually your glory and your goodness, your deepest you. That's what St. Catherine of Genoa once called it, your deepest you, your deepest you, under all the self-protective layers of you. It's like the you God created that's the you that bears the beams of divine light. And here's the thing, nothing can separate you from this great love, nothing. Not your failure, not your fears. This great love sees you as you are, not as you act, and God's fierce love is breaking through, breaking through into the world of ruptures and divisions to heal our wounds, to restore our hearts, to begin us in working 
to bind up the brokenhearted along with God. So the good news of Epiphany is this. It's because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, relational rupture does not have the final word. Rupture does not have the final word because God has given us his spirit. God has given us each other in the church. God has given us the the wisdom of the holy ancient scriptures of the Bible to be our guide, to be the lamp unto our feet, to be the light unto our path. God has given us through the indwelling presence of his Holy Spirit. Guidance for every moment of every day. God's moving even now to restore and to renew all things, all things, which includes you and all that is around you. So, When it comes to this picture of epiphany, this vocation of turning outward toward each other with the light of Christ, the scriptures would give us this sort of guidance as we walk with God's spirit, this sort of way of staying in touch. The writer of Proverbs says it this way, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Above all all else. Could we just say that together? Above all else. Like the implication there is like above all things. Like like if you forget everything else written in the book of Proverbs, if you if you forget everything else written in this collection of sayings, like don't forget this one. Above all else. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. I mean it's like, wait, isn't It's not guard my wallet or my purse. It's not guard my children. It's above all else, guard your heart. Why my heart? Why guard your heart? Well, because for everything you do flows from it. So think about that. Everything you do on the outside originates on the inside. And if that's true, then of course we should pay attention to what's going on inside. And Jesus agreed. Jesus' version of this same idea went like this. His version was, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Like, that is quite a list, Jesus. (laughs) Any one of those has the potential to just, like, sabotage your life and your relationships. That is quite a list. And according to Jesus, all of these originate in your heart. They come from within. So if that is true, we would do well to guard our hearts. What does that look like? It's like the problem is nobody has taught us what it means to guard our hearts. Most of life is focused on our behaviors and on our achievements and on our connections. But if Jesus is correct, guarding our hearts may be more important than monitoring our behavior. I mean, the book of Proverbs, it's filled with guidance related to our behavior, but at the same time, it says above all else, it's like it's saying get in the habit of paying attention to what's swirling around in you because what's in you doesn't stay there. What's inside you doesn't stay there. Our hearts direct our behavior, what's inside eventually comes outside. It's like, what if Cain had paid attention to the anger, to the resentment, to the jealousy that eventually led him to murder? 
I heard this story about a dad who was trying to essentially teach his kids about this idea of paying attention to what's swirling around inside of you, paying attention to guarding your heart and what's ruminating in there. And so he made this practice where at night he would literally put his hand just like on his child and would just say, you know, son, daughter, you know, Russell, Lila, how is your heart? How is everything with your heart? Because the reality is, like, you think about the questions that we ask our kids as parents, uh, they're, they're usually related to behavior, like, did you brush your teeth? Did you do your homework? Have you cleaned your room? Have, you know, it's usually behavior-oriented. And the questions we ask kind of, you know, in a subtle way, the ones we ask over and over and over again, they sort of subtly communicate what is most important to us or what we think ought to be most important to our children. And so this dad was like, Whew, all that, you know, of course all that is going to happen too, right? Did you brush your teeth? Did you clean? All those behavior things. But he just would make it this habit like, Susie, how is everything with your heart? And then over time, he kind of expanded those questions like, did anyone hurt your feelings today? Is there anyone whose failure you would secretly celebrate? Is there anything that you're sad about? Is there anything that you're scared about? And in teaching his children to pay attention to their hearts, to pay attention to what is going on inside of them, he also was teaching them about confession, this idea of cleaning out these things that get lodged in our hearts all the time as humans. He was teaching his children to clean out their hearts and teaching them that when things get lodged in our hearts, when we keep secrets in our hearts, secrets can make us sick. There's a reason we say the body keeps the score. Because what's on the inside eventually moves its way to the outside. And so he's teaching his children this. The story, the story I read was kind of cute because, you know, he's teaching his kids about this. And his son came and, you know, I have something I want to confess and, and a minor thing. And then came back and again and again and again. And um, he said, I'm so glad you shared this with me. And his son said, well, I don't want to get sick, you know, like, <laughs> And then later, they were praying another night and, you know, doing their bedtime connect and, and praying together. And this little kid says, you know, goes through his litany of prayers and then says, right before saying amen, says, and God, I thank you that I have a clean heart. Like, that's it, isn't it? Thank you, God, that I have a clean heart. May you lie awake at midnight being able to pray, thank you, God, that I have a clean heart if you lie awake at midnight. May you know the, the power of God's love coming for you, even in the midst of those disconnections and divisions and, and relational ruptures. May you know God's love coming for you at Epiphany, renewing and restoring you. Let's pray together as we close. Well, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in your loving presence, we pause together to just breathe in your loving care. We breathe in and out, getting in touch with our bodies. We breathe in 
and out. And with you and you alone, God, we are fully known. (laughs) Nothing about us you don't see. And with that full knowledge, complete and total love, we are fully loved. With you and you alone, God, there is no fear of rejection. Would you root us in your love? God, we hold before you now a relationship that maybe has come to mind that's experienced disconnection or disorder or division. We hold that person in that situation up to your perfect light. And we confess our tendency to blame the other and to shame ourselves. And we say to you before God, before you, God, in prayer, we say to you, we cannot fix this. Despite our best efforts, we are at the end of ourselves. But God, the end of ourselves, the end of our best efforts and resources is just the beginning of you. So in that sense, we thank you. We thank you for the hard situations where we have exhausted ourselves We've exhausted ourselves of ourselves. So all we can do is throw ourselves utterly and completely on your mercy and grace. And we thank you, we thank you, we thank you that in every moment, anywhere, all the time, it's always available. God, you are so good coming for us. We ask you to forgive us of all the ways we practice self-sufficiency and strength. And we ask you to fill us with your love, with your light. God, would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you guide us into the infinite mystery that is you? May you be made manifest, Lord Jesus, in the ruptures that we still encounter east of Eden. May you fill us with the hope, the hope for an eternity where all is made new, And help us to join you in the making of all things new today, we pray. And everybody said, amen.